Thanks, Tony. I'm extraordinarily excited to be uh, continuing this series with you folks here this morning. We've got a full house today. This is awesome. Um, so we've been uh, continuing this conversation the past couple weeks in a neighboring series. And uh, one of the things that we've been kind of saying throughout this series, one of the big, um, kind of the big idea, this question that we've been asking has been, what if we weren't um, a people that went to church, but what if we were, uh, by way of contrast, a church that went to people? And so what we've been trying to do these past couple weeks is give practical and tangible ways to go about doing that. And uh, I understand that not everybody in this room, not all of us here are followers of Jesus Christ. Some of us are still investigating. Some of us, we're not really sure where we land in our faith. And I understand that. But I just want to assure you that the next uh, 30 minutes will be worth your time because uh, we're going to talk about something um, that everybody has in common, something that I believe has the power to revolutionize somebody's life. Um, and that is uh, the power of sharing your story. So we're going to be talking uh, today about the power of sharing your story. So I know there's, like I said, there's a full house, there's a lot of people here, and uh, I understand that, uh, I know some of you, I don't know all of you, but there is one thing that I do know about you is that everybody has a story, regardless, regardless of whether you would consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, if you're still investigating, you're not really sure where you land with all that. One thing that I do know that we all have in common is we all have a story. And so today what, I, what I'd like to talk about is uh, the power behind that. Um, I really think that we can tap into that a little bit more um, throughout this series in a very practical and tangible way. And so what I'd like to do is, uh, I'd, actually, I'd like us to turn um, to John chapter 9, which can be found on page 747 in those black Bibles. If you want to grab one of those black Bibles in those chairs in front of you, you can do that. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, we always say that um, go ahead and take one of ours. We'll make that a gift from us to you. A happy early uh, Thanksgiving. And uh, if, if you're like a smartphone, iPad, tablet user, you can download the app called Version. that's Y-O-U-Version, and you can get to John chapter 9 that way. So that's where we're going. Uh, before we go there, why don't I give us the, the context of kind of uh, the background of, of John 9. Uh, the Gospel of John is, is an awesome book. I encourage you, if you ever uh, get the time to sit down and, and just breeze through it, just read it. Um, it's a great read. It was written by John. John's one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Um, this is a pretty... Uh, Pretty interesting guy. He actually, uh, if you're familiar, he wrote the, the uh, letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and many believe he wrote the book of Revelation as well. But um, the first chapters of, uh, of the Gospel of John, the first 12 chapters, are uh, specifically uh, addressing Jesus' earthly ministry. He's um, teaching and preaching to various um, audiences of people, and he's uh, doing a lot of signs and miracles. Uh, we see everything from Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, to Jesus walking on water, to Jesus turning water into wine. And today what we're going to see in John chapter 9 is that Jesus actually um, takes this man born with congenital blindness and he, and he helps him receive his sight. He performs a miracle. So it's pretty awesome. So we have that to look forward to. And then uh, eventually what I'd like to do is I'd like to share my story with you uh, awesome folks here this morning. So why don't we do that? But before we do, why don't I pray for us and we'll jump right into the text. God, I just want to uh, take this time here this morning, Lord, and just thank you for, uh, for the people in this room. Uh, just thank you for their willingness to come here this morning and to, uh, to hear more about uh, the Neighboring series. And uh, God, I just ask that my words would not be mine, but that they would be yours, Lord, and that uh, I just ask for truth and for clarity for these people here this morning. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, if you got your Bibles or your apps, uh, we're going to jump into John 9. Uh, starting in, uh, in verse 1 here. So let's get started. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, 
Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, let's just pause there a second. Um, a, lot of, a lot of people wonder why they would ask that question. I, I looked at it the first time, and I'm like, that is kind of a weird question, whether you believe in God or not. Um, a lot of scholars speculate during this time that the reason that they would have asked this question is because um, you have to understand, they didn't have the New Testament yet, and so they would have had, you know, uh, Old Testament law. They would have thought that if somebody sinned, that they would reap punishment all the way to the third and the fourth generation of their kids. And so that, a lot of scholars speculate that that might have been why they would have asked Jesus that question. Was it this man or his parents that, was, um, that sinned, that he was born blind? So Jesus, notice what Jesus says, though, in verse, uh, verse 3. Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no man can work, uh, when no one can work, I'm sorry. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Pretty awesome. I love reading that story ever since. I've known that story ever since I was a kid. And um, I, think it's, uh, I think it's incredible what happened. You see, Jesus is just walking along with his disciples. And they're like, oh, hey, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents? And Jesus is like, neither. This was so that the glory of God would be put on display, you guys. Jesus introduces this paradigm shift of thinking. He's like, no, I actually, I actually care about that guy. I'm an intentional and I'm relational with this, with this man. And uh, so the disciples, they're looking at him as if he's nothing more than a subject of theological analysis. Their debate over this guy would have been more important in this person's life. This blind beggar, he would have been uh, disassociated with. Predominantly, most of the Jews, they would have looked at him and, and not even want to be around him because it would break their laws of purification. This guy would have felt inferior. He would have felt inadequate. He would have felt less worthy. He would have felt not important. What does Jesus do? Jesus goes, he takes dirt, and he spits in it, and he makes mud, puts it in this guy's eyes, tells him, go to the pool of Siloam. Wash in the pool of Siloam. And then he does. He goes, he washes, and he receives his sight. And... um. My fear is that we can read this and we can often become desensitized to what's actually happening here. And we can think, oh, well, this is like David Blaine or David Copperfield and he's just like, new eyes. But really what's happening is this is, this is the God of the, of the universe. He's fashioning this guy a new set of eyes. The same way he took Adam and made him out of dust. He's taking dirt and, and mud and he's making a new set of eyes for this person. It's pretty, it's pretty easy to... Uh, to not realize that. And so let's just continue with this, uh, with this idea. Now watch what happens next in verse, in verse 8. He says, his neighbors, I love this because we're in a neighboring series, and I didn't even plan that. It says, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging, they asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I'm the man, that's me. I'm the same guy. Notice what happens in verse 10. How then were your eyes open? How did this happen? He replied, the man they called Jesus, he made some mud, put it in my eyes. He told me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went, I washed, and I, and I could see. 
Notice, notice the, how clear and direct the language is. I went, I washed, and I could see. Real simple and basic. You'll notice a pattern here as we keep going in this passage. Uh, so notice what happens back in, in verse 12 now. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. Again, here is a, the second account to what had happened after, after Jesus healed uh, the blind man. He says, he put mud on my eyes, the man replied. He's like, man, I'm telling this story again. I put mud on my eyes, the man replied. I washed, and now I see. Once again, very clear, very direct language he's using here. Notice what happens in verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Notice what happens in verse 17. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. It was your eyes. The man replied, he's a prophet. He gives him a little bit more credibility this time. He's not just, oh, some guy named Jesus. This time he's a prophet. So he's bumping him up a little bit in credibility-wise. Notice in verse 18, they still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Verse 19, is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? Notice in verse 20, we know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. They're like, I want the heck out of this conversation. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. So notice in verse 23, that was why his parents said he is of age. Ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God. Telling the truth. Oh, I'm sorry. I lost my place. Give glory to God. By telling the truth, they said, we know this man is a sinner. They're trying to corner him. The Pharisees are always trying to trap people. That's just in their nature. I, know, I want you to notice what happens in verse 25 here. What happens in verse 25, I am convinced that it may be one of the most irrefutable statements ever made in the entire canonical scriptures. And this is why I believe what happens in verse 25 has the power to, to revolutionize the way that we share our stories um, not, not only uh, to, to each other, um, but, but to our neighbors as well, because we're in a neighboring series. So the people in our natural pathway of life, notice what happens in verse 25. This is so good. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing that I do know, one thing that I do know is that I was blind, and now I see. Notice those two distinct and definite words, was and now. If you're a person that likes to write in your Bible, um, if you're into that kind of thing, I am. Go ahead and circle and underline those two words, was and now. Was and now. Was and now. And I'll keep doing it all day because it's so good. I can't emphasize it enough. What I think this is, is this is a clear and concise outline that, that John is recording in his... Uh, in, this, in the scriptures, of how we are to share our stories. So, again, I may not know everybody here, but one thing that I do know, everybody has a was and a now. And so, 
what, the challenge that I'd like to give us today is to do two things, is to identify your was and identify your now. And then after you identify your was and your now, share your was and your now. And so um, a lot of people tend to think that their stories don't have power. But let me just assure you that you are literally sitting on a gold mine. This is why. I believe that your story is more enthralling, more, inca- more captivating, more powerful than, than anything else going on in the world today. I think it's more enthralling and captivating than the next album that's about to drop on iTunes, even Taylor Swift. I think it's more enthralling and captivating than the next movie that's about to hit the cinemas, even The Hobbit. I would rather hear your story than, than almost, I love hearing people's stories, but I don't think it's just me. I think everybody here loves hearing people's stories. I love hearing the blind beggar's story, and I love uh, hearing, hearing, I would love to hear your stories too. So if we have this challenge, identify your was, identify your now, share your was, share your now with people in your natural pathway of life. Okay, Clark, I get it. So what I'd like to do now, <laughs> said now again, what I'd like to do at this point in time as a uh, practitioner, when I put my money where my mouth is, and I'll do precisely that. I'll be a practitioner of what I'm saying here, and, uh, and I will share you guys my was and my now. So uh, just for the sake of clarity, I want to put up on the PowerPoint my was. I'll kind of sh- give you, hopefully this will kind of clarify what I'm talking about. So uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Clark. I help lead our young adults ministry here called New Perspective, 18 to 28. And uh, you might see me in the cafe, and I'm probably like overly excited to see you and say hi. And, and I don't know, for those of you that haven't met me, they call me the lobby shark, Clark the lobby shark. So apparently I'm out there saying hi to people a lot. But I used to not always be that way. In fact, I used to be uh, quite the opposite. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about me. Uh, I grew up in the church. Uh, I remember as a family, every night we would always hold hands and say this prayer, uh, you know, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hand, we all are fed. Thank you for our daily bread. Amen. I remember doing that. And if you didn't grow up in the church, you're probably like, that's really weird. (laughs) But uh, that's how it is when you grow up in the church. And uh, I also uh, grew up singing Father Abraham, had many sons, had many sons, had Father Abraham. And I remember just growing up really traditional, and there's nothing wrong with that. But this is, uh, I grew up in a church. I was an altar boy. I was a choir boy. And um, I grew up in this, in this church, and actually, I actually really liked it a lot, um, but when I turned about 14 years old, I decided I didn't want to go anymore. I just felt like it wasn't really relevant at all, and um, interestingly enough, my mom and my dad actually both got divorced around the same time, and actually entered in kind of a, kind of a dark season of life, to be honest with you guys. Um, my mom and dad were going through this divorce, and they're trying to, they're trying to reprioritize their life, and... Uh, you know, they're, they're just trying to figure out how to keep putting food on the table for me and my sister. And as they're doing that, um, I'm kind of, um, my grades are kind of plummeting in school. I'm lying to my mom and my dad. I'm telling my mom, I'm staying at my dad's house. And I tell my dad, I'm staying at my mom's. I'm really out hanging out with my buddies. And uh, around this time, I, I, kind of, uh, I kind of was investigating recreational drugs, to be honest with you. Um, I was started smoking weed and drinking with my friends. And my grades started to get really bad. My academics was like the last thing on my priority list, and I started like skipping school. And uh, really, uh, after my parents got a divorce, um, what what happened? I don't know exactly when it happened, but I think what what happened to me is I had uh, developed an inferiority complex where I kind of, um, as we talked about the blind beggar earlier, you know, I would have felt less worthy, inadequate, inferior, um, not valuable as a person, and so I kind of always had low self-esteem. 
And so uh, this kind of helped fuel and trigger my, uh, my life, my pathway of destruction. And so what I did is I continued to use recreational drugs. I continued to, to neglect my academics. I continued to uh, go down this pathway of destruction. And what inevitably happened was I barely graduated high school. And then after high school, I moved on to... Um, you know, just working these dead-end jobs, um, never really aspiring to be anything, just always continue, perpetually thinking that I'm nothing more than, you know, um, trash as a person. And so I, I worked these uh, jobs that didn't really, you know, uh, I wasn't really aiming for anything in life. And so what inevitably happened was um, I started using, um, I, I continued to use drugs, continued to drink, continued to party. When I turned 19 years old, I got a DUI. Uh, I remember I was driving the wrong side of the road down a one-way in downtown Akron, and I got pulled over, and I got arrested, and it was pretty humiliating, to be honest. Um, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a good time. But that still wasn't enough. You would think that would be enough to learn, right? You would think, like, dude, you got a DUI. Like, that's horrible. You could have killed someone or yourself. Um, but no, for me, again, it was all about me, 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 me. I was self-absorbed. I was egotistical. Um, you know, I... I had no idea. I had an inferiority complex. I didn't think I was worth anything. So I continued down this path of destruction. And so inevitably what happened was um, I started to get into harder stuff. I started to get into uh, Percocet, Oxycontin, uh, Xanax, and, um, you know, just continuing down this pathway of destruction. And uh, when I turned 20 years old, I used heroin for the first time. And I entered into the darkest season of my life. I spent everything I had on that. I would do anything to, to get this drug. Um, I, had, uh, I had lost friends. I had friends that died because of this drug. Um, I died a few times and was resuscitated by friends because of, because of this drug called heroin. Um, because of this, I would, I would do anything in my power to get this. It became a, I became enslaved to this. It became an, an idol. And... Um, what ended up happening was, uh, you know, I tried every imaginable remedy to get clean from this. Everything, you guys. Uh, everything from counseling to behavior modification to, to meetings. I mean, I mean, I even took drugs to get off drugs. I tried everything, and there was just no hope. I'd like you to flip the PowerPoint over to my now. My now happened in uh, March uh, 2011. And uh, I'll never forget, I was invited out to a young adult central gathering in Bath, Ohio, uh, by a friend via Facebook. And uh, I ended up going there, and I'll never forget. Um, everybody was so genuine, so authentic. They were so happy to see me there. I remember going there the first time. They're like, oh, hey, Clark. Oh, Clark Bar. Cool. Yeah. You're awesome. <laughs> and uh, I was like, thanks. I mean, it's just what I needed, right? People that were real with me, and uh, I, I'll never forget Tony Lavigny, I don't know if you guys know him at all, but he's a pastor here, but he, uh, he used to live, he used to uh, lead the uh, young adult ministry, New Perspective, at the Bath Campus, and I'll never forget, I walked in, they were going through the series in the book of First Peter, and he was preaching on First Peter chapter 1, on an inheritance in heaven that will never perish, spoil, or fade, and I remember it really struck a chord in my heart, I remember thinking, like, this is a great message, and wow, this guy actually sounds, like, really genuine and authentic, and same thing after the message, everybody came up to me, and they're like, oh, wow, it's so good to meet you. Wow, Clark, Clark Barr, wow, good to meet you. And uh, it's just really what I needed. And so I'll tell you guys, I, I kept going back to this, um, 
and, and this, you know, it didn't happen overnight. Uh, I kept, I kept uh, trying to, to stop using uh, recreational drugs at this point in time. You know, I'm really trying to, uh, everything in my power to, to, to stay clean. Um, but I kept going to these gatherings, and I got plugged in a life group, and uh, ultimately I went to celebrate recovery at the Bath Campus, and I started to surround myself with people that really loved and cared about me. But, uh, but really, ultimately, what, what was very uh, instrumental in my life was, I'll never forget, in August of 2011, uh, I was invited by uh, Chris Amon and Tony Lavigny to a Men's Canada retreat in uh, Algonquin National Park in Canada. This was, this was a great trip. Um, I remember getting the phone call from them, and they were like, hey, we're really looking for guys that uh, are serious about their faith, and they're trying to follow Jesus. Would you be interested in going? We think you would be a good candidate for this trip. And I responded, sure, that sounds good. And, um, you know, again, I'm like, well, I don't know, I'll try it. You know, anything to keep my mind off of, off of using drugs, right? And so I go on this trip, and, uh, you know, it was a good time. It was like a backpacking trip, and we canoed. And I'll never forget, uh, me and Tony were canoe partners. And I remember just uh, canoeing together, you know, in this pond. This is how I canoe, by the way. And um, <laughs> we were just talking, and he was like, so, Clark man, tell me your story. I'm like, not going to happen, man. You're a pastor. You wouldn't get it, you know. You would disassociate yourself from me. Just like the blind beggar, you know, you would, you would disassociate yourself from, from this guy that feels inferior, inadequate, less worthy, not valuable. I'm just shutting the doors in my heart. I'm like, I'm not going to tell him. There's no way. He would disassociate himself from me. He would probably jump out of the canoe and like swim back to Ohio <laughs> if I told him this story, <laughs> you know. So, I mean, later that night, um, we, we ended up, um, you know, getting, I remember zipping up the mesh in our tent and we're getting our sleeping bags. And we're getting ready to go to bed. And uh, I, I'll never forget, there was something in my heart that really made me uh, want to share what was really going on. And so I ended up telling Tony, like, everything. I mean, everything from, from you know, the recreational drugs to the really hardcore rock star drugs, every, every single thing that I was involved in. And I remember just, just telling him, like, man, I just really don't think that there's a place for a guy like me in God's kingdom. I don't think, that, I don't think that's really what God's looking I don't think I'm God material. And he was like, and I will never forget. He was like, that's a lie, man. He's like, that's why it's called grace. Because the truth is, none of us deserve God's, God's grace. None of us deserve this gift. And, uh, of course, you know, after hearing that, the waterfall of tears was and I was just, like, so overwhelmed to hear that. Um, but it ended up being, uh, that trip was so powerful in my life, you guys. Um, I ended up getting um, baptized on that trip. I came to know Jesus on that trip. Um, one of the big challenges that they gave us men on that retreat was to find someone to disciple them, someone to spiritually mature them. And um, so I asked Tony, I'm like, would you be willing to uh, disciple me? And uh, he prayed about it for like a week, and I let me know, like, sure. And then uh, over this next year, guys, wow, this was the most transforming year of my life. I, I literally remember going to Tony's house every Wednesday at, till ten, from 10.30 at night till like 3 in the morning, I mean, him, him, I remember him and Jess would cook me dinner. <sighs> they show, I mean, I remember Tony showed me how to study the Bible. <sighs> Radical love. I would never be able to give that back. They took me in. <laughs> they took me in, and uh, 
They just loved me. I mean, they, they, I remember Tony helping me with my homework. <laughs> I was probably taking an un uncredited class at Akron because I wasn't smart enough to take like a real class <laughs> and make you do that assessment test. <laughs> like, you're not smart enough to take these. He was like helping me with my homework. I mean, he doesn't have to do that. <laughs> during that. During that next year, I was transformed by Jesus Christ. I learned that Jesus loved me and wanted a relationship with me. I found out that I wasn't inferior, I wasn't inadequate, that I was valuable, that I was worthy to be a child of God. And, uh, and somebody sacrificially loved me enough to do that for me. And uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I felt 10 feet tall. I just felt so loved, more than I could ever imagine, uh, because of what, what Tony and his family have done for me. And uh, so if I could just create a plug for the boot camp class, I would just encourage you to get involved in that, because <laughs> <laughs> discipleship is is the most transforming thing. Um, but um, I, I actually went to Moody Bible Institute in 2012. I moved to Spokane, Washington. And uh, I just got to be honest, that's crazy, right? I mean, why would somebody who does drugs go to Bible? I mean, with, obviously I wasn't doing drugs when I went to Bible college, but <laughs> within that next span of a year, I felt God called me to Moody. And I went there. And then a year later, I'm back here uh, at 2013. I was, you know, Tony was like, there's an internship open. So I'm like, sure, I would, I would love to. And so I moved back to, uh, to Ohio, and then I'm interning here. And then I'm here with you fine folks this morning, and we're talking about what's and now. So uh, next year will be five years that I've been, uh, you know, a follower of Jesus. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's very transforming. So... The, the story continues. So that's my was and my now. So again, I just want to encourage you uh, once again to identify your was and uh, identify your now as we're continuing this neighboring series and we're thinking about how can we reach out and love our neighbors and, our, and the people in our natural pathway of life, whether it be the person at the Starbucks coffee shop or whether it's somebody at uh, Aldi's grocery store. I don't know why I'm putting brands out there, but... Um, <laughs> Whether it's, and you know, use your imagination, you can figure it out. But uh, really, identify your was, identify your now, share your was with your now, share your was and share your now with somebody in your natural pathway of life. Now, I understand this is kind of a, more of an insider conversation, so I just want to encourage you, um, if, if you're somebody that, uh, if you're somebody that um, is still investigating uh, Jesus and you're not really sure where you land with all this, you're thinking, I'm not really sure. Some of the stuff he's saying is good, but um, I'm, just, I'm just not sure. I would encourage you to uh, ask yourself this question. Um, ask yourself, is today my now? Um, is today the day that I'm going to put a stake in the ground and say, um, you know, Jesus, um, I don't really know what's about you, but uh, Lord, I, I'm identifying with some of the stuff this dude's saying and uh, it's really, you know, striking a chord in my heart. Maybe today is your now. Maybe today is the day that you put a stake in the ground and say, God, I've tried every imaginable remedy. I've tried behavior modification. I can't manufacture anything in my own accord to, to get right and to, feel, and to feel adequate as a person. I know that you're, you're the only thing. You're the only thing that can, that can quench that thirst in my soul, God. I would encourage you, ask yourself, is today your now? Put a stake in the ground. So at this point in time, I just want to ask the band to come up. And as they do, I, I just want you guys to imagine with me, if you will, uh, what, what would it look like if, 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 uh, if we identified our was and we identified our now 
and we shared our was and our now with people in our natural pathway of life, what would that look like? I believe lives would be transformed because of it. And, and, and again, remember, not just our stories. We want to know our neighbors' stories too. Um, we want to know kind of where they've been, where they've been and um, what's going on. So I just uh, encourage you, identify your was, identify your now, share your was, share your now with people in your natural pathway of life. And for some of you, maybe today is your now. So let's pray. God, I just want to say uh, thank you so much for what you have done through, uh, through my life. God, I'm just uh, overwhelmed with the fact that, um, Lord, you give us a was and a now. And, uh, Lord, it, it is more enthralling and captivating than... Um, than a lot of other stuff going on, Lord. And uh, Lord, just going to Bible college, God, I know that, that, that I, I'm given every, every, uh, every answer to all the questions that nobody ever asks sometimes, God. But, but when we share our story with somebody, Lord, something really strikes a chord in somebody's heart. And uh, God, I just pray for, for the folks here today, whether we grew up in the church or whether we um, are still investigating uh, who Jesus is, God, I pray that we would that we would be open uh, to the idea of, of sharing our stories with people, with our neighbors, uh, with people in our, our life groups. Um, Lord, I ask that you would, uh, for the person that's investigating you, God, I ask that you would uh, you know, take out our heart, the heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh, Lord. Um, just like you opened the eyes of the blind in John 9, Lord, you did that for me. You did that for so many people, God. Uh, it's unexplainable and it's undeniable. Uh, what you can do through life, Jesus. Lord, we're so thankful for the gift that you gave us, God, on Calvary. Um, never be able to pay that back, God. Um, thank you for, the, for, for uh, just the, uh, the neighboring series, God, the opportunity to, uh, to really put the, the glory of God on display. I think, about, I think about the blind man in John 9 and how, Jesus, you said that this was for the glory of God to be put on display. This is not because if he did something wrong, this is so that I can show people how good of a God I am, how awesome I am. Jesus, I just ask that you would show that to us, God, in a really tangible way. God, you didn't come to make us better. You came to make us new. Lord, you're not just a commodity. You're not something useful. You're beautiful. Lord, help us realize that, God, as we identify our was and our now, share our was and our now. And God, I ask you, that today would be somebody's now. They'd put a stake in the ground and say, God, I've tried it all. I'm tired of running. You've worked through the blind man's life. You've worked through Clark's life. I know you can do it in me, God. I know you can. So I just ask, Lord, uh, be with those folks today as we continue throughout our day and continue this conversation throughout the neighboring series. Would you do that? I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.